0: Welcome uh, to our class this morning. Let me ask you to bow with me in prayer as we begin uh, our study this morning. Our Father, we are thankful that we can uh, depend upon Your Word for all of the wisdom and knowledge that we need for life and godliness. There is nothing uh, that we need um, apart from Your Word to understand what You want for us, to understand what You demand of us. And we pray now as we look into how to study the Bible that You would help us to understand these truths and to be able to think about them as in relationship to how we read the Bible and how we study it for ourselves, as well as how we listen to it. And we just ask that Your Spirit would give us wisdom as we uh, look into these things. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, we are working through a class called um, How to Study the Bible. And the first two weeks, we saw how the Bible was composed. How it came from the mind of God and how He translated that into the mind of man. How He inspired a person to write each section of the Scripture. And then uh, how those words were written down. So we spent a lot of time talking about that. And so what we learned from those first two classes is that we have God's perfect Word in front of us. So the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we understand it? If we have what God wants to speak to us, then how do we understand it? So in week three, we saw that the way that we understand God's Word is through interpretation. And we said that interpretation is a process by which we understand the author's intended meaning. So we can use interpretation in in every area of life. When you pick up the newspaper in the morning, or when you pull up an article on the internet, you automatically interpret what is going on there, what the author is trying to convey. You do the same thing when you talk to, to an individual. You interpret what they're trying to say about you, or about the situation that they're talking about. And so we're doing the same thing with regard to God's Word. We're trying to find out what was the author's intended meaning. So that includes both the human author and the divine author, that is God. And we saw that people occasionally misinterpret us because they fail to understand the context. And the reason that there are so many different interpretations about the Bible, even with one specific passage, you could give like a list of five verses and talk to maybe ten different people and find different interpretations on that same passage. And we said that the reason that that happens is because everyone, or not everyone, but some people play by different rules. And so what we're trying to do is find out what the what are the normal rules of interpretation. And um, if we're going to... to Participate and do this process of interpretation rightly, understand the author's intended meaning, then we need to play by the proper rules. Um, and those are the ro- rules of normal uh, language. There are normal laws of language that are used. And so the most important thing that we can understand when it comes to the process of interpretation is that we have to understand the context in which it was written. And so, most of our time last time was spent uh, looking at this first type of context and we called this the historical context. The historical context. Alright? And that that just simply means that every book of the Bible was written at a particular time, place, in a given culture, and with a specific purpose. Okay? So, when it comes to historical context, we have to understand that the Bible was written at a different time. We we easily uh, we easily are able to interpret what's going on in our culture. When someone comes up to you and says something to you today, you understand what they're saying because they're saying it in the same time or era, the same year as you are. But we have to understand that the Bible was written, uh, the last book of the Bible was written over 1,900 years ago. Right? And it was... The Bible as a whole was written over a period of between 1,500 and 2,000 years. So, when we look at the Scriptures, we have to understand that first of all, when it comes to historical context, we're looking at a different time. So, what do these words mean at that time? Secondly, uh, place. When we talk about historical context, we're talking about a different place. Most of us didn't grow up in uh, what is now the Middle East, so... We don't know what, what the culture is like over there. We don't know what the, the terrain is like. And so when, we're talking about, when they're talking about places like Mount, the Mount of Olives or Jerusalem or things like that, most of us have never been there, so we don't know what it's like. And so when we uh, participate in the process of interpretation here, someone says something about 12 Mile Road or about Rochester Road, we understand exactly what they're talking about. But if someone says something like Mount Ararat or Mount Sinai or the Jordan River, we can't picture in our mind what exactly that looks like. Okay? We can't picture what, what the terrain is like, what kind of trees are in that area, what kind of things are growing, and so on. So when we look at the Scriptures, we need to think about the place as well. And then thirdly, with regard to historical context, we have to understand that it's a different culture that we're talking about. The Scriptures were written at a different culture. And even within the Scriptures, you have, um, you have different cultures in the Old Testament compared to the cultures in the New Testament. There, there's all sorts of different cultures that are, um, that are working there. So we have to understand when we're reading a specific passage, what is the culture? And then fourthly, every passage has a specific purpose. And we spent a lot of time looking at that. We looked at John 3.16 and we said, what is the purpose of this verse? We looked at it in its context that John was writing that for a reason. We saw that that has a bigger reason within the paragraph in which it was written. And then also within the, book, the whole book of John and then within the whole book of the Bible. So those are the four things with regard to the historical context. The very first thing that we looked at, um, that, that there is a specific time Place, culture, and purpose for everything that is written. So, if we want to understand uh, God's message, then we need to understand those types of things uh, to start with. Sometimes, when it comes to purpose, the, the the purpose is stated in in the book. So, for example, we looked at John twenty thirty one. It says, "These things are written. This book is written." that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So, he states his purpose. This is why I'm writing. But other times, it's a little bit more difficult to figure that out. And we talked about how we can do that by looking at who is the author, who's, who's, who are the readers, what's the purpose of their writing, and what are the main uh, themes. So, if we could summarize the last class that we had with regard to historical context, we would do it in this way. This is the first principle of interpretation that we all have to understand. A text can never mean what it never meant. Okay, So, a text can never mean what it never meant. We can't take a verse uh, and uh, look at it, let's say, in the Old Testament. Just uh, pull out any verse here. Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 4. But now, behold, I am freeing you today from the chains which are on your hands. If you would prefer to come to Me with Babylon, come along and I will look after you. Okay, We can't just take that verse and go, it must be talking about me being freed from the chains of my financial debt. And God wants me to be freed from those chains and I just need to follow Him to Babylon. Maybe to some uh, some financial advisor and, and all that will go away. You see how we can take Scripture and, and make it mean whatever we want? Well, that's not a part of normal interpretation. That's why we have to understand this. A text can never mean what it never meant. So, in order to understand a verse like that, we have to understand what's going on in this passage in Jeremiah. And we need to do that for everything that we look at in the Scriptures. The easiest thing to do is to be complacent when we come to the Scriptures and just pull out little little phrases or, or things and make them apply to us however we want to and then say, this is what God's doing for me when God never said that. You see? Because we're using a way in which the text was never intended to be used. So that's the very first thing that we need to understand. We can't just force a text of Scripture to mean whatever we want it to mean. Alright? Is that clear? Are there any questions with regard to that? Okay. Okay. Good, let's move on um, to what we're going to look at today, and that's the next uh, two principles with regard to context. I said the most important thing to to understand when it comes to interpretation is the context. What is going on around what is being said? And so first we looked at historical context. Today we're going to look at literary and grammatical context. All right, so let's begin with literary context. In addition to the historical setting, interpretation is influenced by literary factors. There are different types of literature. Okay? Different types of literature. Just thinking... uh, You don't have to think about with regard to Scriptures, but maybe when you're in school, what types of literature are there? Okay? Like, I'll give you an example. Like, poetry is a type of literature. What what else are there? Prose, mystery. That's more... uh, um, Oh, history. I'm thinking mystery. Okay, yeah, history more like a narrative of something that happened. Okay, fiction, non-fiction. Okay, we also have um, proverbs, right? We have uh, parables, letters, and in the scriptures we have prophecy as well. Things that are—it's a prediction of what's going to happen in the future, and each of these have to be interpreted differently so i'll give you an example of a phrase that we use today and you tell me what kind of literature you think it is an apple a day keeps a doctor away is that a fact or what is that that poetry it's a proverb right okay you you go to a chinese restaurant there's all sorts of proverbs in there right um not necessarily proverbs that are drawn from the scripture the book of proverbs but they're they're proverbs they're just general bits of wisdom so we need to understand when we're reading a proverb in the scripture, that we're not reading a, a historical fact. For example, all right. So, so just as an example, it says, "Train up a child." The Proverbs does in the Bible. Here it says, "Train up a child in the way you should go, way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it." So, does that mean that every person who trains up a child in the way he should go? That person will be guaranteed to not depart from it. No, it's a proverb. Okay, it's a general truth. If if you just take a general observation of all the people, okay, we'll put all the people over here who trained up their children in the way they should go. Most of them, okay, the general observation is that that those kids will not depart from that truth. But there will be people who. Parents who do what they're supposed to do with regard to their children and the children will fall away from the faith or they will uh, decide not to follow God. And so that's why it's a proverb. So we need to understand this is what we're talking about with regard to literary context. Okay, We're kind of going back to school a little bit because um, you learned in school there, there's all sorts of different types of literature and we need to understand which one we're reading when we're looking at the Scriptures. So that we don't take something like, for example, a proverb and say, this has to happen. Um, there's all sorts of proverbs that talk about, um, you know, when we are wise that, that that wealth will be the result of it. I mean, we can't take that as a guarantee and say, God, you, you haven't done this. Why haven't you given me the wealth that I deserve? You said you were going to do this when God never said that. You see? Because it was a general truth so here's the first point with regard to our literary context interpret every biblical text in light of its literary form interpret every biblical text in light of its literary form okay and one of the things that we need to understand with regard to literature is even within narratives there are things that are described and prescribed. Okay, There's a difference. Sometimes what the Scripture does is it describes what happens. Okay, for example, when David committed adultery with Bathsheba, that was a description of what had happened. The Scriptures are not saying, this is what you should do, are they? That's not what God would say. He wouldn't say you participated in adultery. That's just a description. So what you're going to find in the narrative, okay, the things that read like history or stories, um, things that actually happened, those are more descriptive in nature. And there's a way that we can determine how to understand those. We'll get into that in the coming weeks, um, how to understand narratives. But when you get to the epistles, the letters, the things that mostly Paul wrote, but also Peter and John and, and others. When you get to those, those are not talking about descriptions. Okay, When he says that there needs to be the reading of Scripture in the service, he's not talking about a description of what happens. He's saying you need to do this. Okay, So when we get to the letters which come towards the end of the Bible, we need to understand that those are more prescriptive, that they are prescribed for us, that we should do them rather than like the, the David sin with Bathsheba, that's just telling you what happened and the nature of sin and how even a great man of God like David could fall away and and sin against God. Um, let me show you an example of this. We'll show, look at two examples actually, but look, turn to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter 1. Now, Acts, we have to keep in mind that Acts is a narrative. What happens a lot of times is is we can go to Acts without understanding that it is a, a, um, a recounting, a history of what happened at the beginning of the church. So, let's look at verse 12 of chapter 1. This is talking about the disciples. Then they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. Okay, this is describing something that the disciples did. They went to Jerusalem. So the question for us is are we to take this passage and say that God wants us to go to Jerusalem too and pray in an upper room? Okay, that's not what the scriptures are saying. This is just a description. Remember we're talking about a narrative. This is Acts. We're talking about a narrative. Now turn over to Romans chapter 1. And now we get into the letters. The letters written by Paul which are more prescriptive in nature. They, They tell us what we ought to do. And so Paul takes the first 11 chapters of Romans and he explains for us what our relationship is before God. How we stand condemned before a holy God because of our sin. And yet Jesus has provided a way for us. And so he's described all this that, that God has provided this great grace for us. And then notice verse 1 of chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable, acceptable to God, which is your uh, spiritual service of worship. Now, Paul's not saying, okay, this is something that believers in our day should do. He's saying this is something that all believers should do. That we should present our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. And so we could ask Paul, Paul, why would we do that? Why would we present our bodies? He tells us at the beginning of the verse because of or by the mercies of God. Go back to the first 11 chapters. See all the great things God has done. And because of that, we should be willing to give our lives as a living sacrifice, doing whatever it is that God wants us to do. So number one, when it comes to literary context, we need to interpret every text in light of its biblical or its literary form. What, what passage are we reading from? We need to understand that before we can understand how to interpret it properly. And then, uh, secondly, interpret every biblical text in light of its literary device. in terms of its, its literary device. Normal human communication employs devices such as figures of speech. Okay? So, for example, you could say uh, that your mouth was on fire. Okay? We would understand you not to mean that you actually had a fire blazing in your mouth, but that you meant what? Hey, you just got done eating some spicy food or something. And your mouth is on fire. Well, the same thing is true in John chapter 10. Turn over there with me. Okay, we need to understand things in terms of their literary device. What, are these figures of speech? Or when they're talking, are they saying what is actually happening? John chapter 10 and verse 7. So, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So, when Jesus says that He is the door, or as other translations say, the gate, is He saying that I am a literal gate? That I stand between two fences and people move me so they can come in and out. Not at all. Right? He's using a figure of speech. He's showing you uh, that, that it requires, in order for you to come in to receive eternal life, you have to come through me. The door. The gate. You see? It's a figure of speech. And so, uh, when we uh, use in the, this process of interpretation... We have to take into account literary devices like like these sorts of things. Okay, so that's literary context. And if we could sum up literary context into a principle that we could use, um, then we would say we would use this. Okay, all texts are not alike. All texts are not alike. Okay? That doesn't mean that all texts are different. There are some that are the same as others, but all texts are not alike. So we can't just go to whatever passage of Scripture we want and make that apply to us if we don't understand what the literary context is. Okay. So you see what literary context is? So we talked about historical and now literary. Any questions? Mark? Uh-huh. Um, the only rule I can think of is to you have to understand the context. So what's the look around the passage. that almost answers every time you have a question on interpretation. If you just look around and see what else is around there. So find out, okay, if this is a story or a parable or something, what's going on around that uh, context? Okay, what is Jesus doing? or what are the prophets doing? Are they talking about something that's future? Are they talking about something that's current? And that just takes time and effort and and some good resources a lot of times because because it is an ancient document, okay? But meant for us, we do need. It's going to take some work. It's not just you know quick and easy. Sometimes some of those passages are difficult. I would say yes to that, that the Holy Spirit is the one that helps illumine us, help us to see the Scriptures more clearly. But He also uses the means of uh, the laws of language. Okay, That doesn't mean that we can just sit down not understanding different literary types, for example, and say, okay, the, the Holy Spirit's going to teach me literary types. We use normal means to get to that place. So it's still going to require work. Um, but yes, that is true. That that we have an advantage. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that the, that the unbeliever cannot understand the things of God because they are foolishness to Him. I mean, they can understand that those are sentences, that's a paragraph, they understand what's going on in the story. But I think the point is they can't understand the significance of it like a believer can because the, the Holy Spirit helps in that way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some things they may take as allegorical, some as literal. Um, but, yeah, it's it's going to take uh, some good resources. And I, I'm, I hopefully I'm going to point you to some of those as we move on in this class. We'll talk about how to um, interpret several of these different types of liter- literature. Any other questions or comments? Okay, good. Let's look to the uh, next section. That is the grammatical context. The most important thing when it comes to interpretation in order to understand a specific verse or a passage is to understand what? You said the context, right? You need to understand what's around it, what's going on at that time. So we looked at historical and then literary, and now let's turn to grammatical. Um, The difference between the original language of a biblical book, and the language of, our, of the readers, us today, creates uh, more obstacles to interpretation, really. But these obstacles can be overcome. Okay, so first here's the first principle with regard to grammatical context. Interpret every biblical text in light of its original language. Interpret every biblical text in light of its original language. Now, I mentioned in last class that the Bible is written in a different language. Okay? We said it's written in Hebrew. Most of the Old Testament is in Hebrew. There's a portion that's in Aramaic. And then the New Testament is written in Greek. Um, since most of us don't know these languages, it's necessary to obtain a good translation of the Bible. Okay? So, we need, to, we need to obtain a good translation in, in, in our language, in English that converts the original language into our own language. And one factor to bear in mind when interpreting the language of Scripture is that all, all languages are univocal. Okay, that just means they have one voice. That All, all that means is that a word can only have one meaning in one context. Okay, so think about that for a second. A word can only have one meaning in one context. Now, a word can have a different meaning in a different context, right? Okay, Think about um, a word like uh, light. Okay, We could say that we have a lot of light in this room. Or we could say in a different context, while I was sitting in school, the light came on for me. Are we talking about the lights here? The lights in the room came on? No, we're talking about the light in our head. like We, we figured it out. You see how one word can mean something different in different contexts, but it can't mean two things in one context. Okay? Now there are uh, exceptions where we we have uh, double entendres or ir- irony, where we say something and we mean the exact opposite of what we're saying. Like, "Wow, your hair looks really nice today." Okay? It might be I might be using sarcasm there and actually meaning that your hair doesn't look nice today. But it only means one thing there. I can't mean both things—that your hair looks nice and it doesn't look nice. You understand? It only can mean one thing in one context. Otherwise, here's what we would have—we would have in our language. We would only need one word to communicate whatever we wanted, because we could say the word uh, "for" or something, and we could mean anything that we want. If, if, if words had multiple meanings in one language or in our language. Um, then we could inst- construct an entire language from one word. But that's not the way our language works. It only has one meaning and one context. Okay, This is important in not only how we understand what's going on all around us, in our workplace, in our school, and so on, but also with regard to how we study the Bible. So, Interpret every biblical text in in light of its original language. There was only one meaning that it had at that time, and there's only one meaning that it has for us. Then secondly, interpret every biblical text in light of larger logical units. All communication is propositional in nature. That is, that it's communicated in sentences and paragraphs. and, And so those words are connected together in one sentence. Those sentences are connected together in one what? Paragraph. And those paragraphs are connected together in one section. Okay? And those sections are connected together in one in our Bible book. And those books are connected together in the entire Bible. You see? So, everything's connected together in some way, so we have to understand it in terms of, of its larger logical units. So... We talked about this last time with regard to John 3:16, and we tried—I I tried to show that that, that John 3:16 is—it is an umbrella, uh, uh, or it's—it's it's basically has a meaning underneath the entire meaning of John chapter three, and that John chapter three, the meaning of that passage has an entire meaning that that is—that um, is significant and uh, a part of the book of John, and so on. So you have every single thing that's being said that's part of a larger unit. So we need to understand it in terms of that. Alright, so this third principle. First, a text can never mean what it never meant. All texts are not alike. And then thirdly, a text has only one meaning. A text has only one meaning meaning. Alright? So our job is to work hard to figure out what that text means. What was it that God intended? What was it that the author intended? And uh, then we can start to figure out what it means for us. Alright? So, because the Bible is composed of human elements, it should be interpreted as normal human communication. And these rules of interpretation are not just applicable for the Bible. They're applicable for all areas of life. However, the Bible differs from all other human communication. I hope you recognize that. Because in addition to having about 40 different authors, human authors, it has one ultimate uh, uh, author, one ultimate source, and that is God. That God super uh, intended; He He inspired these men to write the, these words down. So God is the ultimate authority. So we do have each individual author having a point uh, of which they are writing, but what, what we have to recognize is that because God is the ultimate author, there is unity among all the books. Because God is the the author of the entire Bible, there is unity within the Bible. Um, And that means that the Bible will never contradict itself. The Bible will never contradict itself because God is truth. We know that from the Scriptures. We know that God never lies. And God is the author of Scripture. So therefore, the Bible cannot lie. The Bible cannot contradict itself. It is perfect in every way. All right. And so here's some uh, interpretive rules that flow out of the fact that, that the Bible only has one ultimate author, author. Number 1, interpret difficult passages in light of those which are clear. Interpret difficult passage in light of those which are clear. Okay, if the Bible clearly teaches a doctrine in one passage, then another passage cannot contradict it. So if, if we have a proper understanding of a clear passage, then it helps us to interpret a more difficult passage. Because God cannot contradict Himself. So this is where this is where the danger comes in in interpreting the Bible. Okay? We take one passage that's a difficult one and seems uh, pretty unclear with regard to the rest of Scripture. And we make that the basis for our doctrine. That becomes a problem. And see, this, that's why this principle is so important. If you have a difficult passage like this that doesn't seem to square with the rest of Scripture, then don't use that passage as your foundation. Go to the clearer passage, passages and understand the difficult passages in light of the clear one. Okay? So, let me try to give you an example. John chapter ten, verses twenty-seven through thirty. Let's look at those. You're in John nine or, or actually you're in John ten, aren't you? John ten, verse twenty-seven. Jesus says, "My sheep hear my voice." Okay, he's talking about the believers, people who have trusted him as Savior. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. And no no one will snatch them out of My hand. My Father who has given them to Me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So We could summarize these uh, five verses by saying, or uh, these couple verses, by saying we cannot lose our salvation. Okay. Once God saves us, do you see what it says there in verse... Uh, 28 and i give them eternal life salvation they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand okay so so to me this is a clear passage where the scriptures teach that that we can't have our salvation and then lose it because once they're in the father's hands no one can snatch them out jesus is very clear about that he says it two times all right so turn over to hebrews Think about that in light of... Let me uh, see if I can find the verse I'm looking for quickly. Um, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 4, Hebrews 6, 4. Alright, so we saw the clear passage. Here's a difficult passage. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good Word of God and the power of the age to come. Okay, it sounds like these people are believers. That's what it sounds like from verses 4 and 5. Notice verse 6 though. And then have fallen away; it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Okay, so verse six says that a person falls away. So now we have to think about this difficult passage. Now what we can do is, if we don't use the laws, the normal laws of, of language, or the the this. Pers- Specifically, understand that God speaks in one voice, that He has not contradicted Himself in any way. We could take a passage like this and say the Bible teaches that a person can lose their salvation, that they can once be enlightened and then fall away. But what we've done now is we've taken a difficult passage and we've made that the basis for our doctrine, our understanding of what God has taught us. But what we didn't do is we take the clear passage, John 10, where Jesus says two times, no one can snatch them out of My hand. Okay? So, here's here's how we ought to interpret Hebrews 6. We interpret it in light of John 10. No one can lose their salvation. So, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here is not that you can lose your salvation, but but it is that you can... Be so close to having received it. In fact, to other people around, it looks like you have been enlightened. It looks like you have been a partaker of the Holy Spirit. It looks like you've tasted the Word of God. You maybe even have tasted the Word of God in the sense that you recognize the value of it. But then you fall away and see you have proven that you really did not accept the truth of the Scripture. So, what we have to do is we need to use clearer passage to interpret the more difficult ones. Now, I wish I had time to explain the context of what's going on in the book of Hebrews, but we'll have to move on um, in order to finish what we're trying to, to do today. But that's, that's uh, an example. Hopefully, that didn't uh, confuse you even more. But But what we need to do when it comes to Scripture is interpret difficult passages in light of those which are clear. Alright, and then secondly, interpret each biblical book in light of its overall biblical context. Okay, we said that we need to look at it in lar- each passage that we read in light of its larger logical unit. The same thing is true about a book. Okay, it's not just with regard to sentence. Look within its paragraph or look within within its section. But look at a book in light of its overall biblical uh, purpose. And... um and that will help us to interpret the, the text rightly. Alright, so each individual book was written at a, a specific time and for a specific purpose, as we talked about last time. And so we need to understand it within, with regard to its, the entire biblical revelation. So, the fourth principle is the Bible communicates a unified message. the bible communicates a unified message all that means is that god does not contradict himself all right and because god is perfect and he is holy in every way then then we can be sure that the bible has one unified message now it's important for us to work through this kind of more difficult uh, understanding of, of, of understand of uh, interpretation because it's all too easy to read the traditional interpretations from others and 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 then make that the authority you can say, well this is what all these people have said so this is what I'm going to believe. Hey, there, is, there is some value in that. But, but ultimately, we need to recognize that the source of truth and our understanding for all of life is in the Bible itself. Not in the interpretations of the Bible. It's in the Bible. So we need to work on the normal laws of interpretation, the normal laws of language. And so before we can know it, um, we have to either rely on other people to, to interpret it for us Or we have to learn these ways of interpreting it for ourselves. And the uh, the last class I talked about every single thing, uh, every time communication is given, we automatically interpret. So what I'm saying to you is, every time you look at the scriptures, you're interpreting. Whether rightly or wrongly, you're you're making a value judgment. You're you're making a judgment call as to what that means. So you're already doing it. You need to know how to do it right. So, if we look at the Bible without using the proper tools of interpretation, then, then uh, we're only going to reinforce the errors that we've learned over the years and then further convince ourselves that we have the authority of God that this is right. Okay? So, if you've been taught something your whole life about what the Bible teaches and they didn't use the proper tools of interpretation then you can think that you have God on your side when you tell that to other people or when you tell that to yourself in a time of trial or, or in a situation. So, when you very well could be wrong. Okay, I'm not saying you are wrong. Perhaps what you learned growing up was, was, uh, was proper and correct, but I'm just telling you that it's very dangerous to depend on what someone else has said. The most important thing to do is find out what the Bible has said because that's God's Word. And so this is what we're trying to do. It's trying to learn how to hear the Bible and how to understand it, how to interpret it Bible, uh, properly. If the Bible is going to transform us to do this work of reformation within us, then we must do our best to listen to it carefully by using the best resources possible to interpret it. Okay? So the Bible must be understood, every part of the Bible must be understood in terms of its context. Okay? When it was written, where it was written, the culture... The purpose, historical context. And then what type of literature is being used there? And then what type of, uh, of grammar is being used? In other words, um, it only has one meaning. God has one unified message within the Scriptures. Alright? Now, next week what I'd like to do is try to flesh that out. Okay, Look at a passage and try to apply these four principles of, of interpretation to a passage that we look at and see if we can come to a proper conclusion of what God is saying. Alright, any questions or comments? Alright, good. I know that's a lot of information in a short period of time and it's a little bit heavier um, than we're used to in this type of setting, but hopefully it'll be helpful in our understanding of the Scriptures. Let's bow for a word of prayer and we'll be Dismissed. Lord, we thank You that You have taken much effort to write down for us what it is that You want from us. And we pray that You'd help us not to be complacent or to depend uh, solely on other people. It is good to depend on other people who have uh, spent much more time than we have uh, studied, studying these things. But, but not, that should not be the only thing that we do. We should be able to understand it for ourselves. Because each of us do reading in the Scriptures, hopefully uh, weekly if not daily. And um, so we need to be able to interpret properly. And you you know that all of us can improve in this area. And we want to be speaking on your behalf when we speak to others and to ourselves. And we don't want to say what you have not said because your Word is, is so important to every part of life. And so we pray that You'd help us as we think through these things. In Jesus' name,
1: Amen.